Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. Eleanor Roosevelt said, True hospitality consists of giving the best of yourself to your guests. Most of us would agree that quality care could be defined by simply substituting patients for guests in Mrs. Roosevelt's quote. Every patient wants to feel that he or she is receiving your best. Unfortunately, this metric may not seem to be maximized by healthcare systems. My guests today are national experts on hospitality. They have taken their expertise and applied it to healthcare. What medicine can learn from hospitality? Next on Sound Practice. My guests today are Peter Yesowich and Stowe Shoemaker. Dr. Yesowich is a chairman of Hospitality Healthcare Partners, LLC, and has assisted with the development of marketing programs for Hilton International, Sandals Resort, and Disney Parks and Resort. Dr. Shoemaker serves as Dean of the William F. Hara College of Hospitality at the University of Nevada. These two gentlemen have authored Hospitable Healthcare, Just What the Patient Ordered. Gentlemen, welcome to Sound Practice. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have you both. Peter, before we start to uh, discuss the book, can you tell me how you became interested in healthcare? Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, as you mentioned in your remarks, my career primarily has been in, in the hospitality marketing business. And uh, for 35 plus years, I've built a, a company that specialized in that, working with a lot of the brands that your listeners would uh, would recognize. But back in the late 90s, I was invited to join the, the board, uh, national board of directors of a cancer care company by the name of Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Uh, at the time, had three hospitals, uh, about four clinics, specialized in treating primarily patients that had advanced stage diagnosis of cancer. And um, I joined the board and was so fascinated by the, the wonderful work they did that I took a 10-year sabbatical uh, from my company from 2010 to 2020, where I uh, continued on the board, but I also served as the organization's chief growth officer, which meant I really coordinated all of the patient acquisition uh, activity, and we grew the business to um, five hospitals, five destination hospitals, 10 clinics, and the most widely recognized and admired uh, cancer care hospital system in the country, uh, based on all of the analytics that we did, which I'm more than happy to share at the appropriate points. It's really a combination of both uh, a foot in hospitality and a foot in healthcare, and um, and when I was in healthcare, I realized uh, just how much hospitality could improve the patient experience. Excellent. So, same question for you. How did you become interested in in healthcare? Well, I was actually living in um, Houston at, at, and teaching at the University of Houston in their College of Hospitality. Became to know some friends who worked for Mo Memorial Hermann Healthcare System mm. and helped them with um, a project called the Art of Heart, and then. Some folks at MD Anderson heard about that project and asked me to join their team. So I had a joint appointment with University of Houston and Cancer Treatment, well, 
the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, and really spent two years there really looking at how do we bring the lessons from hospitality into healthcare, with the idea being how do we improve the patient experience for people who are, you know, really sick. And, you know, MD Anderson, that's kind of the place where most people go for the last, you know, really complicated cancers. And like Peter, we both really saw the opportunities for healthcare, for hospitality into healthcare. But I think more importantly, we realized that this was, it's always great to do things to make people have a great vacation, but there's even a better feeling to know that we're helping people who when they're at their weakest, we can provide an overall great experience and make them feel like they're loved family members. Nicely said. Peter, um, there's no reason to avoid the elephant in the room. Healthcare is oftentimes inhospitable, right? People are oftentimes um, disappointed in the way they are uh, treated as as a human, even if they are uh, pleased with the medical uh, care that that, that they're uh, given. Peter, what do you think the key drivers are to patient dissatisfaction with healthcare are? Well, you know, it's a great question. And when Stone and I decided to write this book, um, we had a little exercise that we put just about everybody through who expressed interest in this, and we started with a question. We said. Can you think of personally think of uh, a healthcare experience that you've had that's gone wrong? And without exception, every one of us has at least one story. Most of us have more than one story. But to your point, John, what's interesting is when you probe that, you discover very rarely is there disappointment because of the clinical outcome. It's because of the way the service was delivered. And so you start with that premise and say, well, there seems to be this real deficiency. So uh, rather than simply write this book from the standpoint of two guys with opinions, we decided to write this from a data-driven approach. And we went out and we surveyed 1,200 adults in America. And basically what we did is we looked at their impressions of 22 different uh, service engagements, as we call them, that are common to both healthcare and hospitality. Examples would be how easy or difficult it is to get an appointment, what the arrival experience is like, what the check-in experience is like, uh, whether or not you know the cost of the service before you receive the service, you know, those kinds of things. And we did a, a very comprehensive examination of the 1,200 adults, and we looked at their impressions of healthcare versus hospitality, and we discovered perhaps not surprisingly, that there were real, we call them hospitality deficits, uh, where people's experience in healthcare was really significantly poorly compared to hospitality. And there are actually five clusters of those uh, that we discovered uh, in the research. I do, do them very quickly. One is not knowing the cost of the service before it's rendered. That's the number one source of dissatisfaction for people with healthcare. The second is whether or not <clears throat> uh, healthcare providers express their appreciation to patients for their business or for their patronage. And more often than not, they don't. Uh, and that's a huge source of dissatisfaction. The third is the whole reception arrival experience, uh, which we talked a little bit about before we got uh, our session started here. Uh, the fourth is that we call them service logistics, and that is how easy or difficult, again, is to make an appointment or the check-in process. And the last is the area of service recovery. And that is what happens if you have a bad experience and how easy or difficult is it to recover from that? And I think we all know in hospitality, you complain about the meal, it goes back to the kitchen and a good one comes out and you get a 
complimentary dessert. You complain about an issue in healthcare and you wound up with a extended debate with a, a payer or a provider and, and it may continue for quite some time. Anyway, those are the five buckets. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, so maybe we could just start with um, a 30,000 foot view here. What are some of the things that healthcare can learn from the hospitality industry? I think the, the key thing and what we did is when we wrote the book is that we really took look really, you know, how did hospitality grow to create great experiences? And it really started when Kermit Wilson, the founder of Holiday Inn, took a drive from Memphis, Tennessee to Washington, D.C. And he was just appalled by the service levels he received, the inconsistencies. And that's when he developed Holiday Inn. And I, what we did is by, so by tracing the history of hospitality, we kind of said, well, what are the key drivers that make a hospitality experience great? And how can we tie that into healthcare? And at the 30,000 level, we came up with what we call the payer model, kind of a play on words for payer, which is P-A-E-E-R. We can talk more about those in detail, but essentially what we do in hospitality is we prepare for the visit, right? Before we, we book a reservation, we always get a note saying, we're looking forward to your arrival. They tell us about things to do. Um, they anticipate. So when we do arrive, we walk into a lobby that's beautiful. Um, even at a La Quinta, the lobby is beautiful. It's pretty clear where you go. Um, the staff engage with us, right? They're talking to us or welcoming us. Um, we're off, when we leave the hospitality experience, we, of course, we're evaluated. We're immediately sent with surveys of what you like, what did you dislike? Even sometimes when we see people in the hallways in these service environments, whether it's in a restaurant or a hotel, people are saying, how is everything, anything we can do to make your stay better? And then also we reward, we get rewarded by either loyalty programs and things like that. And we said, well, those are quite interesting. How do we translate that into healthcare? And I think what's critical for the listener to understand is when people often think about hospitality and healthcare, they often think about, well, we're going to give Four Seasons style service to people who are self-payers. And we've been very clear throughout the book that even if you're taking care of Medicaid patients, you can provide great experiences using this payer model. And we talk about how, you know Hampton Inn, what Hampton Inn has done to create great experiences or La Quinta as compared to Four Seasons. So at the 30,000 level, it's saying, it's really kind of, we use these, we prepare, we anticipate, we engage, we evaluate, and we reward. And we tie that all together throughout the book. And that's one reason your book is so, so well done. Peter, some members of our audience today and I can just hear the voices in my head, Peter. We've got you know people out there that are saying, um, maybe to think of an emphasis on hospitality for healthcare is nice, but frankly, somewhat frivolous. Is there a case to be made that hospitality uh, can actually in impact patient outcomes and results? Yeah, there's some really compelling um, evidence of that. You take a look at, uh, for example, the Hospitals or hospital systems that consistently achieve the highest HCAPS ratings. You know, if you look at systems, for example, that are awarded five stars, uh, and then you begin to deconstruct what it is they do 
in terms of their patient engagement to earn that kind of recognition. And what you discover very quickly is that they have developed a culture uh, in those organizations that is a culture that really reflects uh, a focus on the patient experience. Now, they do that differently, you know, depending on the nature of the system and so forth. Um, but that was very evident to me, for example, in the 10 years I spent at CTCA, because um, it was a, a culture that was incredibly focused on the patient experience for what is arguably the, you know, the most difficult diagnosis anyone can get, uh, which is a cancer diagnosis. And, and I observed uh, firsthand how that culture in practice, whether it was the initial hiring of uh, staff, and that would, didn't matter if it was a van driver or if it was a uh, if it, it was a surgeon, uh, all of the the same criteria were applied in terms of understanding the personalities, the way that they would engage with patients, the way they would react to difficult discussions, and so forth, all the way through things like the arrival experience. You know, when you arrived at a CTCA hospital, there was no front desk. The issue of wayfinding was not a problem for patients and families. Uh, the quality of the food that was served in the in the dining room, um, you know, all of those those kind of creature comforts that were very important, but all of that rolled up into a culture of of really the way the service was delivered, and not not just with CTCA. I mean, you can look at places like Cleveland Clinic, you can look at uh, other organizations that really achieve these consistently high HCAP scores, and you begin to see a common element there, and that common element is really understanding. The, the issues that, that drive the payer model, that is preparing, anticipating, and so forth, but importantly, acting upon those in a way that, that is obvious to patients that uh, it's more than, uh, than uh, reciting uh, your age, height, weight, and insurance information, you know, which unfortunately is uh, you know, the focus of the conversation with an awful lot of healthcare providers. A absolutely. Uh, so Peter, just gave us a, a great answer and pointed to some um, facilities that are doing a, doing a nice job in the hospitality uh, area. Um, but it seems to me that we could also look at it by area of, of medicine instead of um, actual uh, facility. Are there areas of medicine doing hospitality well? Um, it, it just as far as a, a specialty or, or an area of medicine? So my experience really can, I can only really speak specifically about, you know, the work I did with MD Anderson and the work I did at Memorial Hermann Healthcare. And obviously, well, the Memorial Hermann, we really focused on the heart, heart procedures. And if you're familiar at all with Houston, in Houston um, you know, the Baylor College of Medicine was always kind of the famous place for sure. anything with the heart. And Memorial Hermann wanted to take some of that you know, kit bear business basically. And so we really looked at what can we do in how can we bring hospitality principles into the heart procedure, similar to the cancer side. And I think the, you know, the critical issue we found in both those cases is that people who get into healthcare, they do it because it's a passion. They want to serve, they want to take care of people. So the it's not a lack of I don't want to do this job. It's I want to do this job. And how do we do it in a way that really can make patients feel like loved family members? And I think 
what we've done in hospitality is we take people who are have a passion for service and we taught them and given them the tools to create a great experience. And we applied that same principle to healthcare. So now the healthcare worker, just by using some of the things in our book, now they know what it means to be engaging. What does it mean to know to anticipate um, and evaluate? So it's really, we've taken these different service lines, whether it be in my case, cancer or heart, and we've given them the tools to put themselves in the patient's perspective, in the patient's seat, and to then do things correctly. And I'll, I'll give you one quick example. So when we were working, two, I'll give you two quick examples. Um, when we were working with, with Memorial Herman, um, a patient's being wheeled down just to have a, um, just a simple stent put in. And so the, the, the orderly's wheeling the person down and he says, oh, what are you in for? And the, the patient says, oh, I'm in for like something called the stent. And the, the person says, oh my God, I'm so sorry, right? Which immediately puts the patient in fear. He's thinking he's being empathetic, but in the meantime, you know, the patient's going crazy. And the reality is they do stents all the time. So it's a very easy procedure. So he should have said, oh, this will be great. We do, you know, you're the 10th we're doing today. This will be no, a no brainer. And the second thing at MD Anderson, what happens in the cancer center is you go in, you know, you check in, then you're given your contrast. Then you're, when that's worked through your body, you're put into another room as you wait for the magnet. And what we found is people weren't, no one was ever checking to see, to let the patient know where they were in terms of getting ready for their magnet. So the nurses came up with this idea where they said, we're going to give, we're going to buy a stand timer for 30 minutes. And each nurse is going to be responsible for 30 minutes to walk around and check on every patient. So we get ready to, we implement that. We're doing our, we start our test system. I call down to the hospital. And they go, oh, Dr. Schumacher, you wouldn't believe it. We dropped the timer. And I was like, oh, my gosh. But she goes, but don't worry. One of the nurses went out on their break, went to Target and bought like 10 of them. And so what happened was they they got so excited about it because it was something they designed. They thought it would work. And it wasn't like management saying, we're going to buy you all sand timers. Everybody's responsible. They came up with that idea. And I think that's the, and that relies to what Peter talked about is the culture of the organization. Very, very nice, uh, very nice example. Do you think that patients expect uh, different levels of hospitality uh, depending upon the person they're interacting with at a healthcare organization? Do would I expect less <laughs> hospitality from my uh, neurosurgeon than I would from my uh, my nurse? Oh, what I, I should have directed that towards you, Peter. Sorry. <laughs> wow, that's a fabulous question. Um, and I will tell you, um, I, I'm going to try to give you a good answer because it's a complicated question. Um, the, the simple answer is, uh, I, I think yes. Kind of the the higher up, kind of the hierarchy uh, one goes in terms of the clinical care. Um, the the greater the expectation and desire, I guess should I should say, of this kind of uh, sense of hospitality, empathy uh, exists. Now, having said that, we also discovered in our work there's this really interesting phenomenon whereby uh, 
patients are very reluctant to criticize the most senior members of their clinical team. Now you explore that for a second and say, well, what's the psychology behind that? Well, we think it's a couple of things. One is that we're all raised appropriately to show great deference to you know, people who have achieved that level of education expertise. That's understandable. But there's also another aspect of this that's really fascinating, and that is we don't know what questions to ask, and we don't know how to interpret the answers. You know, and it goes back to the issue of um, you know patients who who really aren't qualified, and I don't mean that critically because I include myself in this, who are not qualified to interpret you know, what is necessarily being said by the clinician and, and the way the clinician is describing the situation or the treatment or the potential outcome. So you you put those two elements together, that is the sense of respect that we, that I think we, we understandably and appropriately should display and this inability to, to communicate. And it goes back to the question as well, how do you, how do you make that more, uh, more, more, um, acceptable to a patient, the answer is you deliver it with a sense of hospitality. And that is, you don't make me feel like I can't interpret properly. You don't make me feel uncomfortable. You don't make me feel like I shouldn't be asking questions. You know, all of those things I think are are very appropriate ways to begin to combat what we discovered. And there's, you know, there's a whole body of literature on this too, where people are reluctant to do it. And fascinating, uh, you know, we draw this comparison in our book between people who want to critique providers online in hospitality, you know, you had a, you have an anniversary meal screwed up by a restaurant, man, you go home and the internet's on fire, you know, and people love to creak. And you have a bad experience with your, uh, with your uh, orthodontist, or you have a bad experience with uh, your PCP and you go home and what happens is, you know, you go, oh, it's just another one of those visits. You know, you, you don't go online and you don't, you don't diss people online. And that's part of that psychology that we're, we're really, we're reluctant to do that. So I guess long answer to a great question. I think this understanding the delivery of, of all of this complicated information in, in a hospitable fashion makes it that much more comforting to a patient. And I'll, I'll just follow up with that. And I think when you look at where you go to places like the Cleveland Clinic, where the doctors concerning the heart are just fabulous and they happen to also be nice, it becomes an extra bigger win. Win, yeah. the you know the sort of the famous story was a the president of of Cleveland Clinic fired their top surgeon because he just wasn't nice, and everybody got the message that wow if he got fired, you know we better all be nice. And they then they instrumented a whole culture, and so when people go there now they're like oh my god not only are they competent but they were actually very nice because it becomes so unexpected. Excellent. Well, so in your book, Hospitable Healthcare, you write about possible patient recognition or rewards programs to promote loyalty. And I'm I'm fascinated by this uh this idea um as I accumulate frequent flyer miles. Um tell me a little bit about it. Well, that's that's a that's a great question because it is kind of the, one of the more controversial things that people talk about. Loyalty? Why would you get loyalty points for a hospital? But when you think about it, and, and the statistics look, so when you think about loyalty programs per se, at the end of the day, you know, my view is that loyalty programs really we basically pay people 
to give us their data. And then we can use that data to improve the patient experience or the guest experience, right? So you belong to all these loyalty programs. They know when you're staying, where you're staying, what you like in your room. So when you get there, everything's taken care of. And what happens is there are many areas in healthcare where patients have to go on a regular basis. You think naturally of dialysis, right? Or even chemotherapy. And so what happens is a lot of times in healthcare, you're treated, you may be going there every week, but every time you go, you're treated as if you're, this is your first visit. Mm-hmm. And, and part of it is because, you know, we have to keep all the records proprietary and things like that. But at the end of the day, you sort of feel like, well, I'm coming for the third time. Why do I have to fill out the same paperwork? Why do I have to go through all these procedures, which I already know about? So we think of the idea of, of rewarding people and keeping track of their loyalty. So maybe there's two lines. So if you're a repeat customer, you check in somewhere else where you can just go check in and be done. If you're new, right, then you you go to the, to, to the regular line. And so we think there's a lot of opportunity to increase the loyalty towards the, the healthcare system or to the doctor. And also what we found, and, and Peter can address this because he's got the statistics more than I do, in terms of the number of repeat patients that actually repeat to a hospital. And Peter, do you want to kind of follow up on that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's fascinating is um, you think about one of the greatest successes in hospitality. It's been exactly what Stowe's talked about. It's the creation of these loyalty programs. Like you mentioned, like, you know, you're a card-carrying member in the in the hotel business and airline business and so forth. And uh, they discovered the power of recognizing and rewarding. But in, in the healthcare business, I'll recite the number for you. Um, it's only four out of 10, actually it's 42, 43% of people who will uh, go to a hospital or hospital system for any procedure that will return to the same hospital or system within five years. Think about that or any other procedure. So what that means is there's a repeat ratio of say 42, 43% of five year period, which means that there's a 60% attrition in that five year period. In the hospitality business, in these reward programs, those repeat ratios are pushing 80%. And so what that means is that people think, well, you know, I stayed at the Marriott, I'm going to get my points. Well, and now that's why they've all grown their portfolios to include multiple brands. And the thing that is the glue that ties all those brands together is their loyalty program. And we ask the question in the book, and we do this a little bit tongue in cheek. I, I want to share this with your listeners because it's kind of fun. You know, there's that that uh, scenario that we introduced the book with. It's a guy who's told uh, after his uh, physical, uh, he's 45 years old, it's time for his first colonoscopy. And so he goes through all the motions of actually getting the colonoscopy booked, and uh, and he has the procedure done. And, and then uh, we point out through the process that there are certain you know, things that occur to him that are inhospitable, like the way he's greeted. And and, uh, and then he gets home and two weeks later, he gets a surprise bill from the anesthesiologist he wasn't planning on. And anyway, on and on and on. And then uh, six weeks later, uh, he and his wife uh, decide they're going to go to Vegas for a weekend because they need a little break. So they go online and they book all that. Uh, they get to the hotel, they get upgraded to a lovely suite. They didn't know that was going to happen. It's because the guy's part of the rewards program. Uh, they have a wonderful experience. He checks out on his phone. Uh, he gets home two weeks later when he gets his visa bill. He discovers he just got 2,000 reward points. 
And we say, well, why didn't he get reward points for his colonoscopy? Now, when we say that to our clinician friends, they all say, what, what? You know, you can imagine the reaction. We said, no, no, slow down and just think about the fact that 60% of adults do not return to the same provider or system for any type of care in the five-year period. By the way, last time we checked, the as you age, you tend to consume more health care. So you'd think that that might be a pretty smart decision. Anyway, so the whole we have a whole chapter on reward programs, and that's very controversial. But we think um, we think that uh, you're going to see in the not too distant future a number of health systems begin to introduce these kinds of programs to develop more loyalty. And it especially happens when you think about healthcare because everybody wants the mom to have their baby in the hospital because then they'll think they'll have the patient yeah. for life. So they do the first part, but then they don't do the follow-up to keep track. So it becomes very disassociated. Dis dis so maybe they start off with the right thing, but then they don't have the data to really take that person through their lifetime. And we think loyalty programs are a way to do that. Well, I'm sure what you hear from your clinician uh, friends, Stowe, is that um, healthcare reimbursements are very, inelastic right i mean they're just getting paid a, a set amount and if their costs to deliver health care go up uh they can't add on like marriott could raise the the room rate they're unable to raise their rate to uh to patients so uh do you believe that there's there's an argument that um absorbing the the costs of uh hospitality uh, pay off in the long run financially so I think they very much do pay off financially in the long run. And in fact, in our chapter in our book, we talk about really how to calculate the lifetime value of the customer. And, other, and, and in the appendix of the book, we actually take you through the math to say, if this person comes more than once, what is the overall long-term value of the patient? Um, so we think there's huge opportunities in terms of the cost. And I think, you know, we talk also in the book which is now kind of known as, as the sole issue of behavioral economics. And in my in other research I've done, I worked a lot with a major airline company, British Airways, uh, on, on their pricing strategy. And the idea was, tell me when you want to fly, and I'll tell you what you have to pay. Tell me what you want to pay, and I'll tell you when you can fly and what level of service you can acquire. And Using that approach, they created their whole calendar approach for, you know, if you go on DA.com or any airline, now you can see all the different prices. And I think there's opportunity in healthcare where you, especially in the area of like diagnostic imaging, and, and you know, everybody signs, you sort of have your, what we call in hospitality, your rack rate. This is the rate that's published, but no one ever really pays the rack rate. Insurance companies certainly don't pay the rack rate. They get discounts. And so the issue is for healthcare is to really look at, okay, well, tell me when you want your scan and I'll tell you what, how much discount I'll give you. Tell me what you wanna pay and I'll tell you when you can have that scan. And you look at many healthcare systems, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are prime times for healthcare, for diagnostic imaging. There's always a line that's crowded. You go at night, you go on the weekends, it's very empty. So really by, giving the patient the choice as to when they want to go and how much they want to pay. Then they'll start looking at their insurance companies to see which ones 
I want to go to. And especially when you think of with the Affordable Care Act, where we have to choose kind of the people who are representing us, that presents a huge opportunity for healthcare to increase their revenue at times when they might not be getting revenue. And I hope I answered that properly. And, and Peter, add in if you have other issues. No, I think say it more articulately. Uh, so, and I think that there's a, a classic example of this. There was a guy who ran American Airlines for many, many years who was legendary in the hospitality business who said, you know, if I have a thousand passengers paying the same fare, I know that I don't, I, excuse me, I know that I need 999 other fares. And the whole idea was this idea of, you know, it's called yield management. And, you know, the healthcare system hasn't discovered the power of that yet. I mean, to Stowe's point that I, I know in, in my experience in oncology, uh, there were many organizations, corporations that wanted to uh, initiate direct um, contracts with uh, with our system. Uh, and for whatever reason, because of the cost of care, it was not uh, feasible. But then we said, well, wait a minute, you know, if we were to alter when uh, the, the care was delivered, which were traditionally during very slow periods, then it would be possible to deliver the same quality of care, but at a lower cost, because the lights are still on, the payroll still goes on and so forth. But that the healthcare business hasn't discovered that yet. And uh, we think that whole area, you know, still mentioned, it, it would be a revelation that not only addresses patient preferences, but at the same time, uh, really has a positive impact on revenues and, and profitability. And it's important to emphasize that it's still the same level of care. Right. It's just the care is delivered at a different time. Makes makes sense. So as our time today comes to an end, uh, some members of the audience might want to engage with you or or Peter. How do you assist clients and how do they contact you? Well, we have a we have a website, um, www.hospitablehealthcare.com. And on that website, we provide um, some information about the book. We have excerpts from the interviews of the, you know, we did about 25 in-depth in interviews with hospitality healthcare executives. And on that website is our contact information and they can reach out to Peter and I. And, you know, we'd love to, to work with different organizations to really build a, another test case that we can really publish. Uh, we have our own test cases, which we've done with, um, with you know Peter and CTCA and myself with MD Anderson, we incorporated the the ideas of the payer model in the work we did. It wasn't as specific as it is now, but by going to that website, um, there's all the information on how they can contact us. And we'd love to talk to any of your listeners who who think, well, I think you have something of interest. We'd like to talk about it, and we'd even love to hear from the those who say, well, that's great, but you don't understand healthcare. And we'd love to have those kind of conversations too, because our goal is to take our knowledge and, and help others, but then also grow our own knowledge. Excellent. Peter? No, I think that's well said. So I guess the other thing I would mention for your listeners is, you know, when we share this with uh, healthcare administrators, they, they go back to the point you made before, and that is, you know, the financial pressure in healthcare has never been greater and margins are are uh, compromised and so forth. And the point we make to them is that 
overwhelmingly, the costs associated with doing what we recommend in the book, they're already paying. They're already sunk in their payroll, their training programs, their systems, and so forth. It's just a question of retraining and retooling and implementing some more hospitable kinds of, of um, techniques uh, that are not expensive, uh, but they're overlooked by healthcare. So the point to be made is that, yes, it may require some adjustments to some software and so forth, but overwhelmingly, the costs required to, to deliver a more hospitable experience are costs that are already borne by every healthcare provider today. Uh, they all have systems, they all have receptionists, they all have accountants, they all have and all these, you know, and essentially it's the touch points that patients go through and all these experiences that become inhospitable and therefore they can be corrected, you know, with, with the right perspective and the right training. Perfect. And, and, and Peter, one more time on the, uh, the website where people can find you. Yes. Hospitablehealthcare.com. Great. My guest today, one, I'm sorry, please. Oh, can go, I just add one more thing? Absolutely. So please of, go right ahead. And I didn't mean to interrupt the, no. the cost of turnover. When we talk to healthcare providers, they talk about, oh, well, you know, people are coming and people are going. And, and what we found and what I found at MD Anderson, I mean, I did the research 10 years ago. I went back this summer to they gave, give some seminars around the book. People there who were there 10 years ago are still there. And what we found was that because we gave the employees the tools to make patients feel like loved family members, it suddenly became a much more enjoyable place to work. And they stayed. And when if you just think of the cost of lowering turnover, it, it covers all of these sins. I mean, it's just huge, the cost of retraining. I heard a statistic the other day that it's like $65,000 to replace the training of a nurse in a healthcare system. Well, if you given them these tools to provide great experience, then their patients are happier. They feel they've been more satisfied in their job and they're more likely to stay. And so we think this is a great way to reduce these costs. Doing well by doing good. Gentlemen, thank you very much. My guests have been Dr. Peter Yesowich and Dr. Stowe Shoemaker. The book is Hospitable Healthcare, Just What the Patient Ordered. Gentlemen, thank you so much. My thanks to Peter Yesowich and Stowe Shoemaker for their time and insights. Their book is Hospitality Healthcare. It raises important issues for healthcare systems and for physician leaders. My thanks also to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making this podcast possible. Please join me next time on Sound Practice. We release a new episode every other Wednesday. Bada bing, bada boom. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org.